Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony. And I'm Dan. And we are J&J Missions, spreading the gospel by all means, one soul at a time. We give live talks, we make YouTube videos, and you can find us all over social media. And as you probably figured, we have a podcast. Whether we're giving spiritual tips, deliberating about current events, or talking saints and devotionals, we want to bring the Catholic faith to you in a totally orthodox, yet relatable, down-to-earth way. If you want to support us, head over to our website, www.jmjmissions.com. Hello, good evening, good day. This is the JMJ Missions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Palmieri, along with my co-founder, Antonio Mac. Antonio Mac. Not my favorite nickname. Not your favorite nickname? No, I like Anthony McCharles better. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'll go back to Anthony McCharles. In high school, some kids did call me Antonio, but it was rare. Okay. All right. Well, that's Mm -hmm. fine. So I'll just skip the Antonio. You know why? Antonio's is our favorite pizza place. That's right. And we always get Antonio's pizza. Buffalo chicken. We used to get it a lot. And um, yeah, it's true. There's there's too much overlap between that and you. So. Maybe they, they could sponsor us. If you're listening from our hometown <laughs> of Williamstown, you probably know Antonio's. Reach out to them. See if they want to sponsor us and give us pizza every time we podcast. <laughs> it's definitely not going to happen. It might. <laughs> All right. We'll see what happens. So our topic is the Eucharist today. Uh, seven ways that you can be transformed by the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And we're at a really pivotal time in our church right now. Uh, for the last year, from the, the episcopate level and the clergy level, I know that in the U.S., the bishops are pushing increased devotion and renewal to the Eucharist. And then from what I have heard from a priest that I'm close to, they're trying to push that down to the parish level and have parishes this upcoming year get really, really into the Eucharist and explain why it's so important and kind of have a Eucharistic revival, which our church really Really needs. So I have a new talk that I actually gave for the first time last week. Uh, it's called Source and Summit, the Holy Eucharist. So we're going to take little snippets from that, not actual live snippets, but we're going to take some of the points that I make, not the whole talk, and uh, me and Anthony are going to comment on seven ways that the Eucharist can transform your life, seven ways you can let the Eucharist transform your heart, mind, and soul to be more like the Lord and let it take over your life. But first, we have stuff in the world all right so yeah, this, go ahead the stuff in the world is literally in the world because <laughs> as of last week the world population has reached eight billion wait no so, so we're no longer in the sevens and i remember i could be wrong about this but i remember being young mm-hmm. and whenever people talked about the pop- population of the world it was always six it was six billion when in i was fact, little when i was really young it was yeah. five billion i, don't I remember, remember my, looking at my textbook when i was like eight or nine and yeah. it was like five billion it was what that makes sense saying. because yeah. the textbook was probably old too right. so it was probably in six billion when we were little but then, then it was seven and now it's all the way up to eight so that's a lot of people and it the next part of the article that i read it said do you know the most populated city in the entire world and i formulated my guess before i checked the article Mm -hmm. and i got it wrong i was very wrong wow as what the number one most populated city is so do you know um well first off i want to know what you thought before i give my 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 thought i i was thinking something in the in united arab emirates uae Mm -hmm. like dubai or something like that oh yeah but that wasn't also i was thinking new york city and i knew that new york city probably wasn't number one but it it just jumped to my mind yeah new york city i know used to be the number one populated city uh, years and years ago, maybe like the 50s or the 40s. Yeah. Um, I believe last time I checked, now it could have changed because it does change a lot. Mexico City? No. Okay. Me- Mexico City's number five. Okay, number five. Because last time I checked, which is probably 10 years ago, it was Mexico City. Mm-hmm. It depends on what metric you're using to um, 
to count though because sometimes it's just the metro area sometimes it's all the suburban areas too so it depends on right what did you know what kind of metric this this stat did like uh, it, it just says just by population okay so i could read it more but i'm not gotcha. going to okay it's fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'm gonna guess if it's not mexico city i don't think it's tokyo anymore it used to be tokyo i'm going to guess um no, honestly, I don't know besides Mexico City or Tokyo which one it would be. What what what, what was it? Uh, you want to know just like that? You yeah, want, I do. Up? I don't even have a, I don't even have a guess besides maybe like Shanghai, but I don't think it's Shanghai. Shanghai is number three. It's number three. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So Tokyo is number one. Oh, is it Tokyo? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. With thirty-seven okay. million. Thirty-seven uh-huh. million people. That's a lot of people. Yeah. So they're so def- they're including the uh, the suburb the suburban areas too. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At least I think so. <laughs> yep. Number two is Delhi, India, and that makes none, sense. none of the U.S. cities cracked the top ten. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. last as of a few years ago, New York was like number nine or something, but I don't think it is anymore. Yeah. But again, it depends on what you're because if you're if you're including like the Newark area, of uh-huh. New Jersey, and you're including all the sub- suburbs of New York, yeah, it might, then, it might then it's got to be up there. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be up there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now I have a question for you. Lots of people say that overpopulation is a gigantic problem. Most of these people tend to not be of spiritual thinking or at least of the Catholic faith or Christians. Um, What do you think about that whole overpopulation thing? I've heard that before, and I think that when we start to talk about overpopulation, we're trying to play God. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if that is a problem, it's something that God is well aware of, and we are exactly where he wants us. Mm. You know, And honestly, we could even be not where he wants us because of things like abortion and things like that so like the population could be even higher it could be and things then, like that but then people say well it's getting too crowded our resources we're, we're, we're running out of resources here's what i've heard on that note actually i heard that if we shared because mother Teresa said this mother Teresa said it's not that we have too much or that we don't have enough it's that we just don't share properly mm-hmm. if the if the world had less sin in it and we were more willing to just share our resources with every other country and every other peoples now i'm not saying the u.s should just ship all of its money and resources to other countries because they have sin too and they might not manage it properly right um so if there was a world in which there was just less sin and more trust and less selfishness then i heard that the entire world will be able to sustain a standard of living just below what the united states is at right now for at least the next hundred years Hmm, i never knew that i heard yep that's what i heard now um I also don't buy into the overpopulation idea. I do know it's getting more crowded, obviously, at a really fast rate. Because I remember reading an article maybe just 10 years ago saying, oh, we're at 7 billion. I think it was just 10 years ago we were at 7 mm-hmm. billion. Now we're at 8. Like, that's a lot. That's a yeah. billion more people than we were at however many years ago it was that we hit 7. So it's growing very fast. But, you know, the Lord really is in control. We, we do not have a worldview that just denies god that just says oh okay we're just here on our own we have to fix our own problems no one's going to help us like there's no rhyme or reason to any of this if that was the case and there was no rhyme or reason to the world we're all just here alone by ourselves per chance you know well then you know of course you need to take take precautionary measures but we're not we have a god that loves life we have a god that made the world we have an order and reason to it this whole system was here before us therefore there's someone there before us that designed all of it and what i think is that as long as we turn from sin, uh, the Lord will have his ways of fixing these problems. We'll, we'll come up with new ways to share resources. New technologies will be invented for us to share resources, for us to be able to live harmoniously. Like, all you know, all you have to know is that God is not going to let us just overpopulate and then just literally starve. We're and not I, even any, anywhere near at that point yet. So, And I never heard a solution to overpopulation that didn't violate the concept of love. True, you know, like or just, human dignity. Yeah, like just taking people out or not having more kids, like... 
none of that is a good answer on, on how to solve that problem exactly. i've heard i've heard people say we need to colonize mars but that's, that's just going a little far <laughs> i mean maybe one day in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years but like we, i mean there's so many things that could happen before then you can't even you can't even predict why why and how we need to go into all that yeah. colonizing other planets you know mm-hmm. um i know that there are a lot of elite billionaires that are into this world uh the population control idea like sterilization and stuff like that sometimes forced sterilization of different Mm -hmm. countries different populations just want to reiterate this is completely against god's will um you know i can see why these people would have these ideas because a lot of super successful rich people the billionaires the elites of the world um you know they tend to have made their money through their own efforts you know it's like oh i i make billions of dollars through my investing and through my companies and whatever i did this on my own and it kind of fuels this idea that you were here alone just by ourselves whereas we just said that's not the truth so these people that are pushing these ideas um, tend to be very atheistic or agnostic in their world in their thinking which we know isn't the case so again this comes down to whether god exists or not if god doesn't exist yeah, sure. Like we gotta we gotta fix this, or else you know I could see people panicking in fear, thinking, "Oh my gosh!" In twenty more years, we're gonna be like ten billion people, and you know. But if he does exist, and he does, then he's going to take care of things. All we have to do is stay close to him. He'll figure out the technologies, the resources, the sharing, whatever has to happen for us to be able to live harmoniously in this world. It will happen. We right. Can be sure of that. You're right. I think with God, it's just one of those things that we don't have to worry about. Right. You know, it's kind of like when you're a little kid and your parents are there. You just you don't have to worry about anything. You're just safe. You know, they're going to take care of it. Right. So I mean, God's got us. It's all. It's all good. There we go. Yeah. All right. So with that, overpopulation. Interesting. Um, that's a cool stuff in the world. I did yeah. not know what it was beforehand. Anthony just kind of busted that out of nowhere so um we'll pause for a second we'll come back to our topic which is source and summit the holy eucharist and how we can be transformed by it don't go away All right, we are back. Seven ways the Eucharist can change your soul, change your life, or I should say seven ways you can let the Eucharist or allow the Eucharist to change your life, your heart, because God only works with what we give him. He only works with how open we are to him. Now, the Eucharist is an absolute, uh, like, if you're in a spiritual war for not, we don't mean this physically, obviously, but it is a bomb. In fact, you could even call it like a nuke uh, when it comes to our war against Satan. The Eucharist literally is God. So there is nothing imperfect about the Eucharist. Everything that you need is contained in that tiny white host for your soul. Now you say, well then, Dan, how come every single time I receive the Eucharist, I don't just float on off to heaven? Well, some saints did. <laughs> Look at Blessed Imelda. Blessed Imelda. Blessed Imelda. Or Teresa of Avila, who literally would, um, at the consecration or when she received the Eucharist, would literally start levitating, right? Those that are truly open, the more open you are, the more the Eucharist can change you. So we have seven ways you can utilize the Eucharist as best you can. Now, as I said, this is from my newest talk that I give at mission, parish missions and talks called Source and Summit, the Holy Eucharist. I'm not going to give you everything in the talk. I'm going to leave out tons of cool stories just so you can, if you're in the New Jersey area, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware area, so you can come to the talk. <laughs> um, so we'll leave out some things, but we're also going to comment on the main seven points because it's just, this information is just too valuable um, for us to keep to ourselves. So, Uh, Of the seven ways, number one, uh, go to daily mass when possible. And why is daily mass so important? Daily mass just kind of starts your day off on the right foot. This past summer, 
uh, my spiritual director kind of suggested that I capitalize on daily mass, especially because I wake up early anyway. Like my body just naturally wakes me up at like six, even on days off and mass daily mass doesn't start till eight. So I'm awake at six o'clock. You know, I have my coffee. It's like, why not go to church? And even so the church is only like 2.2 miles from my house. So literally had no excuse. So this past summer was awesome. I think it was the most I ever went to mass in my entire life. Um, almost every single day. Like there was a couple of days that I didn't go. That's great though but, that you went so often. But I noticed a lot of things. I noticed that it made me more peaceful and more joyful. And it kind of like with anything that, you know, people struggle with from time to time, it makes it easier to deal with any struggle you have, whether it's like impatience or, or any kind of sin. It just gives you fuel to overcome your vices. And so if you have that available to you, why not go get it? Yeah, as a parent of two small children, a new parent, uh, I will say now that I, I'm just realizing, I mean, I always obviously knew what the Eucharist was and how important daily mass was, but I didn't go as often as I could have, you know, in the days where I could have gotten up earlier, just, you know, made time for it. I, I would sometimes throughout those years and sometimes I wouldn't. And um, honestly, I'm realizing now how important that is because it's really hard. In fact, it's almost impossible for me to get to daily mass right now with the way my, my kids' schedules are, getting up in the morning, especially obviously having a full-time job as a teacher. But on days where I'm not teaching, it's still really tough with these two little kids. And uh, and like I, I kind of feel the void a little bit. Now, God will make up for that void because I'm just doing his will trying to be a dad, so he'll give the graces he needs to give me and anybody else who are trying to actively, you know, live out their vocation. But um, I'm going back to the times where I used to be able to go a lot, and there's never been a day where I have been to daily mass where I didn't feel more peaceful and just better and just well well started for the day, you know. Especially I would recommend daily mass if you're going through a kind of a gray area in your life, a, like a, a kind of a downtime, you know, if you just find yourself sad or kind of tired or in the daily, just in the daily grind and just like not wanting to get up in the morning if you don't have a nine to five job. This is a great way to get yourself out of bed, start your day with the Eucharist, the greatest thing you start your day with, and then get going. You know, like it forces you to get up, maybe get a shower, get going, uh, and spiritually and practically start off on a great note. So um, I'll divulge one cool story that I wasn't going to say, but I'll just say it for daily mass. Um, when you receive the Eucharist, spiritually, you literally glow. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, St. Therese Neumann, a very famous German mystic, a uh, saint, obviously, as I mentioned, who died in 1962, German uh, German woman. Um, she had many miraculous gifts, one of which would be she could tell if someone had come to visit her who had just received the Eucharist because she could literally say she would, the person would be glowing for a short time after receiving. How crazy is that? And, like, you know, people will walk in and she'd say, oh, you know, how was Mass? <laughs> and they'd be like, how do you know I just came from Mass? She'd say, because you're glowing, because the Eucharist in you. That's just amazing stuff. So spiritually, if you receive in a good state, you literally glow up spiritually. All right, well, um, let's go with number number two. Number two, clear the junk from your heart before receiving. Now, this can mean a couple things. It can mean telling God about your anxieties, your worries, your fears. That's really important to do uh, because, you know, God loves you and he wants to transform you, but if you're if all you're doing is feeling negative emotions, you're kind of seeing tunnel vision. You know, all you're seeing is that negative stuff, and it's hard for the Lord to really operate on your soul, especially if you receive the Eucharist that way. Uh, so first I would say is dump your your anxieties, your worries, your anger, your fears, anything that's bothering you uh, onto Jesus before Mass or even during Mass. There's times you could do it in order to clear clear the way for him to really touch your heart. 
But it could also mean a second thing, which is make sure you get to confession, clear the sins out. In fact, probably more importantly is clear out the sins. And what do you what do you got on that? Yeah, I like that. Um, I'm doing reading for my grad class, and I just came across something today, and it said how, uh, you know, receiving the Eucharist in a state of grace is very important because you know the church is a body. We have like the mystical body of Christ, and you know Christ is the head, and the church is a body. So we're connected to the body, but when we're in sin, especially mortal sin, we're still connected. We're still a part of the church, but we're like dead cells. We're like cells that are not can, that are not growing. Interesting. They're I've just, never heard it put that way. They're before. just like staying put. Like they're not getting any better. They're not. They're not exactly where they're supposed to be. They're just dead. And wow. so, in order to, to reawaken, <laughs> you have to go to confession, and then you're reconnected to like the nutrient supply, and then you can grow. Wow. So, so that's just extra motivation to, you know, receive in a state of grace. Wow, that's mm-hmm. amazing. I'd never thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. I also think of it as like the way I describe it is that you kind of go through a mini hell when you receive the Eucharist. Uh, well, what is hell? Hell is described one cool way it was described to me, which really allowed for us to be sure that God loves you and that he's has no wrath and he's not going to send you to hell, but also um, still obviously defend the Catholic doctrine of hell or dogma of hell. I should say um, that interesting part, the way it described to me is, is that, when you die, it's not that God gets mad and throws you into hell because he's mad at you because he doesn't get like that, but we run from him. Like, we see his love, and there's something in us that doesn't want it, that has rejected him, that gets almost scared, or the guilt gets to us, or whatever. We just run. But what can you run to after you're dead? To nothing. Nothingness, which is pretty much hell, the absence of God. That's the definition, right? And that nothingness is way worse than anything you could possibly imagine in this world because even in this world, you have a little bit of God. You know, even in the darkest times, you still have the hope of God in your soul just barely, right? So even that's gone. So worse than you can ever, anything you could possibly imagine. Now, why am I explaining all this? Because if the Eucharist is God, the Eucharist is Jesus, then when you receive the Eucharist and you're not ready for it, it's like you're forcing heaven into your soul and your soul's not ready and your soul goes through a mini hell. It like convulses and it tries to run and it can't. So that's why St. Paul says you literally bring judgment upon yourself by trying to force heaven into your soul when your soul is not ready for it, has not been to confession. It's like your soul dies and goes to hell in mini which is creepy, you yeah. know? Um, although your analogy was a little <laughs> more interesting to me now because I've never heard it before, but you're like dead, you're the dead cells. So make sure you get to confession and reanimate that body of Christ, which we're also intimately connected. And if you know that you shouldn't receive, I encourage you to just sit back or just go up and just receive the blessing from the priest. Right. Not to be embarrassed because if you sit back, you know, some people might look at you and be like, oh, that guy's in sin. <laughs> He's not receiving the Eucharist. Or some people could look at you and say, oh, there's someone who literally cares about the Eucharist. And they know that they're probably not in the best place to receive. And that's how much they respect it. Exactly. So whenever, somebody's, I, go ahead, yeah, whenever I see people sitting back, I'm always like, way to go. Not way to go that if they're in sin. But like, <laughs> way to go. Like, hey, you know, you're trying and you're, you're probably going to go to confession and you'll be back in good standing. Yeah, I totally agree. If someone's mm-hmm. going to look at you weird because you didn't receive the Eucharist and judge you on that, that's that's on them. Jesus literally says not to judge. Right. Um, what is beautiful is that you're respecting the Eucharist enough to be honest with God. So whatever is holding you back from the Eucharist, do your very best to fix it. Do your very best to get back in God's good graces. Go to confession, and it's nice in the meantime that you are humble enough to respect Jesus in the Eucharist. Like right, that. and if they're judging you, then they should join you in line for confession. <laughs> <laughs> great point, great yeah. point. All right, number three. Talk to the Lord often in Eucharistic adoration. This one we can go on for literally hours. You can do a whole course on Eucharistic mm-hmm. adoration. And, and we've talked about this a lot too. We have. So let's just go quickly. Eucharistic adoration. 
this is the one thing you can do. You get graces just from sitting there. Like, if you're at your house and you're not praying, you're just sitting there, you're not going to get any graces. Yeah, that's true. You're just wasting time. Mm -hmm. But if you go in front of the Lord in Eucharistic adoration and sit and silence your mind and heart, just from sitting there, you're going to get graces by osmosis from being in close proximity of Jesus who lives in the Blessed Sacrament. So how beautiful is that? Um, One thing that's not in my talk, that uh, a story that I heard was from Father uh, Gaffney, a very holy, redemptorist priest who had many charismatic gifts who... um, gave many missions at our home parish he was getting up there in age i I think he's still alive as far as last time i checked but one amazing thing he said this is a very very holy priest let me tell you from meeting him a few times he said he always went to adoration he would go to adoration almost every single day in his priesthood and he goes sometimes he'd go to adoration and be like super excited and get all kinds of graces and consolations other times he'd go to adoration and uh he would like just kind of be bored. He said one time he was going through a really bad dryness. He was going through a lot in his his life at the time, or he was worried about something. And so he goes to adoration, and he wanted to pray, but he said he just couldn't couldn't find the words. Felt insanely dry, and he just sat there for like forty five minutes to an hour. And he thought to himself, "Well, this is pretty awful. I'm just sitting here, you know, like I'm not I'm not getting anything out of this at all. But I guess I'll just I'll just stick it out and just sit here." So he didn't say anything. Just sat there. Uh, didn't feel better afterwards that day. He said the next morning he woke up and he felt so close to God and so many graces started pouring into his soul. And he said, well, look at that. You know, I gave that time to God yesterday and he rewarded me today by giving all the graces and helping me to deal with all the things that I was worried about yesterday. So even just sitting in front of the Eucharist and staring at him, uh, in adoration will give you many, many graces. Some of the greatest ideas we've come, we've, we've, uh, had with JMJ missions have come when we were in adoration, actually making that time, getting up and just getting your butt out of the door and, and going. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number four. Let's see what we got here. Offer communion graces for those who need it most. Why is this so effective? It's effective because if they're not going to receive, then you can receive for them. I don't know if it, if it counts the same theologically, <laughs> but you can still at least pray for them by receiving the Eucharist for them. Oh, great. Yeah, um, there are many mystics, mystic saints who God miraculously gave the Eucharist to, Maria Esperanza being one of them. Her birthday was yesterday, so there she she came up. We thought, we thought well, we'll definitely mention her birthday if she comes up and just popped in there. So her birthday at the time of this recording was just yesterday, November 22nd. So a really amazing stuff there. Maria Esperanza had multiple times where miraculous hosts appeared on her tongue. Uh, this happened to many mystics and saints, not just her. Uh, and when she was asked why this happened, she said she was receiving the Eucharist for all those that either uh, couldn't get to Mass or could get to Mass but just weren't going, and God still wanted to give graces to them somehow. Now, as Anthony said, this does not mean you sh- you don't have to go to Mass could be, because, like, obviously the very best scenario is that you go to Mass is a commandment. You, like, you tell your Eucharist. friend, like, hey, go re- can you see for me this weekend? I'm just going <laughs> to watch the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because then you're blocking. Theologically, they wouldn't even work, because, like, if, you, if I, you told me, hey, I feel like watching the Eagles this Sunday, why don't you go to Mass for me? By watching the Eagles, you're blocking those graces anyway. Yeah. You know? So it's, like, funny. <laughs> but um, anyway, why the Eucharist is so effective is that it's not, like, um, our own prayers are limited to our own merits, right? Our prayers work. God hears, hears our prayers. But they're limited to how holy we are. Like, if we're not that close to God, and we don't pray with that much love or that much confidence, we're not given as, as, as much to work with. The Eucharist is not limited to any of that. The Eucharist gets its power from Jesus' own perfect sacrifice on the cross. The Eucharist is like this perfect ball 
of pure grace and love. So by receiving the Eucharist for somebody, you are bypassing all of our own limitations when we pray. So it is the most powerful thing you can do is offer your communion graces for someone who needs it. It doesn't have to be someone who can't get to Mass. It could be anyone who's someone who's sick, someone who is going to Mass but is going through a lot. Like anyone that you feel needs it, you offer that communion graces up to up to that person, and God will transfer them uh, if he wills it, or at least he'll hold those graces until they are open to the graces. Okay, number five, offer communion for the souls in purgatory. Interesting thing there. That would be um, kind of the same as, you know, offering it up for people that are alive. It's it's the most powerful thing you can do. The souls in purgatory, you can offer you can offer sacrifices and sufferings. You can pray for them, pray the rosary for them. These are all really great things. But again, the Eucharist is the most powerful thing you can do. And in a very special way, you know, because the Eucharist is God, the Eucharist is literally a little sliver or like a preview of heaven. So the way I like to think of it is um, when you receive the Eucharist, it's like, and you offer it for a soul in purgatory, it's like they can feel heaven in you when you when you offer it for them. Like you're literally taking heaven into your own soul, and then you're offering heaven to that soul who needs it, who is trying to find heaven, which is purgatory. So you got anything to add to that? Yeah, just uh, I know that's the quickest way to get people out of purgatory, offering masses for them and the Eucharist for them. That really speeds up their process. There's also things like the St. Gertrude prayer that you can say for them, but mass is really powerful for them. Awesome. So let's recap before we get to our last two. Number one, go to daily Mass as often as possible. Number two, clear the junk from your heart before receiving. Number three, talk to the Lord in Eucharistic adoration. Number four, offer communion graces for those who need it most. Number five, offer communion for the souls in purgatory. And now number six, remember your sufferings are united to those of Jesus in the Eucharist. This is not something to actually do, just something to keep in mind. When you receive the Eucharist, you're receiving Jesus who suffered horribly. Like think of what he went through, right? He went through um, emotional suffering in the agony of the garden. He went through uh, intense physical suffering when he was whipped by the Romans and tortured. He went through intense um, mental and uh, like, I, is social suffering a word? You guys know what I mean. Social suffering when he, rec- when he got the crowning of thorns, then carried his cross, was half dead at the time, couldn't even make it to Golgotha, Golgotha and then finally was nailed to a cross, stripped, humiliated, and died of suffocation. Now, All of that love is contained in the Eucharist. And that also means that when you receive the Eucharist, you're receiving the love of someone who has been through worse than you. So whatever you are going through, you are uniting it very intensely to Jesus' own sufferings uh, in order to feel peace. Like the Eucharist can give you intense peace knowing that Jesus, the crucified Lord himself, is now becoming one with you. And whatever you're going through, he's been through worse and can obviously lift you up through it. Uh, either to to elevate you and to heal you. Of let's say you're going through a physical suffering, he can literally heal you uh, when you receive him. Uh, and if he can't physically heal you, he can spiritually heal you by lifting you up and giving you hope and peace uh, and bringing meaning to your sufferings that you're going through by receiving him. Yeah, and there's no greater life than to lay your life down for your friends. So that's exactly what he did for us. So if we can unite our sufferings to him through that, then that's good. Okay. You have anything else? Nope. All right. And number seven. Number seven, let Christ complete his sacrifice in you. So what this means is, um, obviously, as we just said, Jesus, all the love in his sacrifice, his passion, death, and resurrection uh, are contained in the Eucharist. But the process is not complete unless you actually let it change your life. If you just receive the Eucharist and then you just go home and just watch the Eagles— no offense, nothing wrong with watching football or watch whatever team you follow or soccer, World Cup's on right now, England. right? Yeah, England, right? <laughs> right? 
nothing wrong with those things. But if that's all you do, then Jesus just went through all of that to unite himself to you, and it didn't turn into anything. It didn't, like, nothing manifested itself from his sacrifice. So his love is supposed to be completed in your life. So by that ball of goodness and love kind of, like, hitting your soul in the Eucharist, that is supposed to go out to the world. You are now supposed to be the saint, a new person, transformed into a saint because of this sacrifice. Right. And we're called to share it. We're not just supposed to keep it within ourselves. And we have to use it. Um, Like, it's a gift that we're given, and we have to use it. Kind of reminds me of uh, Dan and I were just playing pickleball, and I just bought three brand new pickleballs, (laughs) and they cracked really fast. And then Dan said, oh, sorry, like, because they cracked. And I was like, that's all right. I mean, this is what they're for. Mm -hmm. You know, we're using them for what they're for. So we have to use ourselves for what we're for. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And the Eucharist is like, you know, the the cracked ball, because the Eucharist is ground up, you know, when you you receive it. It's like Jesus is bloody sacrifice taking part in you and that's exactly what he was there for yep to take on your sins to sacrifice for you to dish out that love into you so keep on playing pickleball like <laughs> you know like like let 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 that let the ball do its work yeah. you know let, <laughs> let, let let the eucharist inside you do what it's made to do which is to make you a saint you know um i love saint Teresa of avila her quote christ has no body but yours no hands but yours no feet but yours and then she says something like yours are the eyes with which he looks with love on humanity so what has Jesus done? He ascended into heaven. And why did he do that? He did that because if we, if he never ascended into heaven, we'd all just be watching him. We'd just be staring at him. All right, Jesus, do your thing. What's the point of us being alive if we're just going to stare at Jesus and watch him do his thing, right? So he came once to show us how to live. And then what he, what he wanted to do is he said, look, your life is very valuable and important, and you can't do anything without me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, what I'll do, Jesus says, is I will enter into you. You and me will become one. And I will give you the love and grace you need to go do something with your life. This is what gives our life meaning. Jesus inside of us as the Eucharist doing wonderful things. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And one last comment about the Eucharist. People say, well, why do you need the Eucharist? Why doesn't he just do all this spiritually? Well, it's because God made a physical and a spiritual world, not just a spiritual world. We live in a physical universe. If he wanted a spiritual world, we'd all just be angels. We're not. So Jesus loves us that much to not only change us spiritually, but to become one with us physically as well. And that's why the Eucharist is out there. He wants to change this world both physically and spiritually, not just limit himself to one side of the, uh, of the, the reality that we live in. Nice. Any, uh, any last comments? No. Any last words? <laughs> okay. And before uh, we sign off, we have our last segment, which is the Davotional Cup. Danielle, not here for the Davotional Cup. She should be back soon. Uh, but we have a little wheel, <laughs> as we always have uh, in place of the, devo- the Davotional Cup, if I forget it, which I totally forgot it. Again, keeps me humble, so pray for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Ant, you want to do a little spinny wheel? Yep. I will spin the wheel and as opposed to shaking the cup. So here it goes. It didn't make a sound. I wish it did. <laughs> All right, it landed on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Sacred Heart of Jesus. That makes perfect sense because it is his heart that is manifest to himself in the Eucharist. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, what is that that uh, old prayer we do? Um, oh, the Eucharistic prayer before the tabernacle. May the heart of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament be praised, adored, and loved with grateful affection at every moment in all the tabernacles of the world, even till the end of time. How's that prayer start off? The heart of Jesus. It's fitting that it says the heart of Jesus, not like the, the lips or the head, mm-hmm. or because like if it was his head or his lips or his his face, like he'd be talking to us directly. But it's it's not his that which which unites with us. It's his heart. Like when you receive the Eucharist, you're still you. 
He doesn't just force his, his, his own words and thoughts into your mind. He lets you be you, but he gives you his heart. So his heart is what changes you and your heart becomes full of love and grace and all those things. So I, I think it's, it's crazy that that's what, that's what we uh, landed on with the spinny wheel. We had probably like about eight or nine that we, yeah. that we put on there. So it wasn't just like just the sacred heart of Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and some of them were kind of random. <laughs> um, you know, when people see Eucharistic miracles, um, well, the, one of the most famous Eucharistic miracles happened in the 1970s in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I believe Pope Francis was the Pope at the time or the Bishop of, Buenos Aires at the time, or at least he was a priest working in that diocese. Uh, a priest had finished cel- celebrating Mass, found a consecrated host uh, that was unconsumed that no one had received. Uh, he put it in water, I believe, to let it dissolve, which is one of the ways you're supposed to dispose of a uh, consecrated host that has not been received or consumed. After a little while, he saw a red substance coming from the host. Uh, he left it alone, and after a, a short time later, the su- the red substance was, like, growing on the host. It was clearly emanating from the Eucharistic host, unexplainably, uh, inexplicably, I should say. And um, uh, he ended up getting it tested. So he took that red substance, it looked like blood, to be tested at a lab um, by one of the aftermost specialists in Argentina. Did not tell this guy um, where he got this specimen of, of the red substance, where he got the sample from. The specialist said, I could tell you exactly where I got it, or I could tell you exactly what this is. This is heart tissue. This is human blood, um, blood type AB, tissue from the heart, someone who has been tortured. So, you know, when we say we feel love or feel pain or joy and any of these emotions, we always say these are emotions that are in our hearts. So I think that God was trying to say something through this Eucharistic miracle. Heart tissue miraculously coming from this Eucharistic host in Argentina, that Jesus' love for you is most manifested physically in the Eucharist. His heart, which bleeds for you, which loves us infinitely, you get to experience when you receive the Eucharist. So you can't go wrong by taking it seriously. In fact, um, this should be the, truly the source and summit of everything that we do as Catholics. So with that being said, if you have a chance to come out to one of Dan's talks to hear the full version of this, then please take advantage. All right, and let's close with a prayer, and I'm going to pray. Okay. All right, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus. Have we, mercy on us. We place our trust in you. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I, mean, I heard that, but not as a prayer. Wait, wait, wait restart. Let's restart. do it again. Ready? Father, in your Father Son, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, we, we place, place our, our trust, trust in, in you. you. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, Son, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. God bless.